Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and I'm a big fan of band books. Oh, you are? I mean, some of them. Well, how would you like uh, if Jack Scott heard you saying that? I would love if Jack Scott heard me saying pretty much anything I've publicly said, because I think most of it would make him mad. <laughs> if, if you haven't guessed today, it is our back to school uh, episode series that we're really excited for. And today, one of the things that we are talking about, we're talking about banned books. We're talking about literature. Yeah. Yeah. Sadie, what are, what are we what are you going to tell us about today? Banned books, I feel like, is a little bit of a misnomer in IFB speak because it's really easier to talk about allowed books because the list of what is allowed is so small compared to the list of what is not allowed. I, I understand that banned books is the term that makes sense to people, but it, uh, it it's a little bit of a misnomer in, in the IFB context. But we're going to talk about uh, what literature classics we learned in English class growing up, how my education compared to yours, uh, what books were very much off limits and what I did read in English and literature classes 
in IFB Christian School. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Uh, before we get into that, I just got to say the Leaving Eden podcast is the story, uh, the podcast of Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult, talk about other cults sometimes. We talk about uh, the real present you know, danger that they pose to society as a whole, you know, cults, cult-like ideology. It's a real, real danger, but we promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like this show, if you want to support this show, you can go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can go to our, join our Facebook group if you want to hang out with other leaving Eden podcast fans, but that's going to be facebook.com slash group slash Eden Exodus. And now we have a subreddit, uh, which we set up. So you can go to reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. We have a budding new uh, a community there. Yeah, I think that's it. That's all that I've got to plug right now. So Gabby, I was wondering what a literature class, specifically in high school, but at any point during your educational experience, would have been like for you? So specifically what I'm wondering is, was literature lumped in with English? So did you like go to in an English class and learn spelling and grammar and literature all in one classroom, all in one class period. Did you, or was it a, a separate class, like an elective that you could take? In ACE, literature is a separate optional elective. Really? And yeah. So in ACE, most people do choose to take literature. Some states require you to have it and then other states don't. Mm. Most, I think most people take it, but... It's it is it is an it's classified as an elective and it's not mixed in with your English paces that teach grammar. Weirdly, really? yeah, and weirdly huh. in ACE spelling isn't mixed in with grammar either. So before high school, you have literature, English, and word building, which is spelling, and and there's those are three separate paces that you have to complete every day for for elementary and ACE. In Abeka, which I took during high school, and we're gonna absolutely do an entire episode on one of these days. Spelling, grammar, and literature is combined all into one class, and they are very heavy on poetry mem- memorization. So in Abeka, it was a lot of both ACE and Abeka are very, very big on diagramming sentences. I can diagram just about any sentence that you could possibly put together. They have you diagram some Bible verses? They have us diagram verses from the King James Bible. And if you can do that, you can pretty much diagram anything. Yeah, because that's all backwards because it's what it's... Yeah, it's a lot of dependent from, clauses yeah. and dependent phrases and, and different things um, that you have to learn how to do. So so I'm, I'm very good at diagramming sentences in case anybody was wondering out there in podcast land. See, for me, I, I mean, they tried they had us diagram sentences in like sixth grade, seventh grade and stuff. I I never gave a shit about like they'd give us uh, diagramming sentences for homework and I just like wouldn't do it. And I'd just be like, sorry. So they wouldn't like fail you out of the next grade if you didn't do your homework? Oh, well, I would do all my other assignments, but like that stuff I wouldn't do. Like all of like the dumb little shit, I was just like, I don't I don't care. And then I did I didn't do it and I'd pass with like a 75. Oh, uh, see, no, and yeah. so in in the school that I went to, if you didn't do your homework, you just had to do it the next day. So it was safe for homework, they gave you you know, we have five spelling words this this week. Write each of those five words 10 times and then use each word in a sentence and then copy down this Bible verse 10 times. And that would be your daily homework for spelling. 
And then you'd also have grammar homework. Yeah. And then you'd also have grammar homework and you'd also have poetry homework or literature homework. That's that's (laughs) Becca has a lot of homework. Um, so you would do that. It's just like wrote stuff. No, but it was never like, okay, you have to Abeka write a story. Re- uh, no, they had that too. But as we're going to get into, Abeka is really big on the rote memorization thing. But so if you didn't do your write this word 10 times and use each one in a sentence and then also copy this Bible verse down 10 times, if you didn't do that, you just had to do it the next day. And if hmm. you didn't do it the next day, you just had to do it the next day. So if you didn't do it, your homework would just pile up and pile up. But if you didn't sit there for like an entire weekend straight and copy spelling words and Bible verses at the end of the semester to get partial credit on your homework, you didn't pass the class. Yeah, that's just that's lame. That's that's a sorry. Yeah, they're so big on rote memorization. And I'm going to talk a little bit about poetry memorization down the line. But first, I want to hear more about like what was what was specifically literature? What was that like for you? Okay, so um, let let me think. So like in sixth grade, sixth grade and like seventh grade was the only time that I really remember having to like diagram sentences. And then after that, it was just like they figured, okay, you know it. We're not going to do this anymore. This is like you 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 know all the parts of speech Uh, and. Then I want to say in in ninth grade, because I so I went to public school and in public school, you know, you get uh, and my, my high school had probably like 15, 1600 kids that went there. So there's a lot of different kids from a lot of different backgrounds. So you get into freshman English and it's just kind of everybody. So you have kids that are really, really, really good at all of this stuff. They've, you know, like for me, I went to like a. a uh, for for middle school, I went I went to like this magnet school um, that was like trying to to get us out ahead of everything so that we could take college courses by the time we were in high school. But then when I got into English class and in freshman year, it was like you know I'm in there with everybody, so I know a lot of this stuff. And there's a lot of kids there, you know, maybe they haven't had those advantages. They're coming in and. The, our, our, my teacher is having to, you know, do some more basic stuff with them and has us doing different. So it was kind of just like a mixed bag and it was kind of just a little bit chaotic for freshman year. And then, you know, by sophomore, junior year, then it sort of starts to separate itself out. So for me, I think I took literature. Uh, so AP literature was my English class, my junior year of high school. Oh, so literature was your English class. Literature so, was my English class because by that time, like you know the the like the parts of speech and stuff. You're a junior in high school. You're taking AP classes. You know parts of speech. You can write and you can oh, that's you know speak. Yeah. So you didn't have spelling or grammar at all, junior year. I, I mean, not that I. No, we might have had like one one like at the beginning. We might have just had like a unit because I think there was like a requirement. Because the 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 requirement for my school was that you have to take an English class every year. You have to take so there's like you have to take four units of an English class, and you have to take mm-hmm. like a, it, you know other ones. Well, I know the Illinois state requirements are that you have to take four cre- four high school credits of English, four high school credits of math, half a credit of a foreign language. Like you have to have you have to fulfill these specific requirements. And I was I, so I'm wondering yeah, if the literature class. 
Yeah, I wonder if the literature class counted towards an English requirement for you. No, it did. It did. Oh, so, cool. uh, like, my, my freshman year, I took the freshman English class. And then my sophomore year, I took the, the sophomore English class. My junior year, I took AP lit- Literature. And then my senior year, I took uh, Creative Writing, which was taught by my theater teacher. That was a great class. Really liked that. That sounds that sounds great. I had... Uh, yeah. I had creative writing both as a par- a small part of my English classes and also as a part of my fine arts competition that I went to in high school. Um, my school, so it was optional. What you So according to the fine arts convention's rules, you could participate in anywhere between five and 12 categories. And only a maximum of five categories could be performance based. Huh. But my school required us all to submit. So three of the categories were poetry, short story, and persuasive nonfiction essay. And so you'd be writing your own poetry and stuff. Right. Oh, I, oh my God. I wrote so much poetry in high school, but not for classes just because I was me. (laughs) I feel like you did, you know, that, that tracks though. Was it like angsty? Oh yeah. I wrote like hundreds of poems worth of angsty poetry in high school. You don't have have any of of your angsty high school poetry. Oh my God. I have every single one. I have folders and folders full of things I wrote in high school. Are they here? Can you read some of them? (laughs) They're not with me. They're in, they're in my closet. (laughs) Maybe for our Patreon listeners, we can uh, make fun of some of these. Okay, I'll find something that's like minimally embarrassing. Yeah, um, or maximally embarrassing. <laughs> That'd be really fun. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I so I I was required to write though. I think some years my I, I don't quite remember. Maybe somebody from my school knows, but I think some years we were required to submit all three: a poem, a short story, and a persuasive essay. And then our teachers would decide which one was good enough to get submitted to the fine arts competition. And I think other years we were just required to submit one out of the three or two out of the three. Interesting. So they like require you to submit to this competition. Oh, yeah. Like we were required. We were also required to max out our five performance slots. Why? It was just because my school, like the principal of my school really wanted to win. As far as I know, there wasn't any like reason, reason other than the principal of my school just really wanted to win everything at this fine arts competition. Huh, just for like bragging rights. I guess. I, I don't huh. really know why we were pushed to do that much. I just know that my school made us max out, uh, get as, you know, submit as many things as we could into it and made us submit writing based things if we could and had like a whole strategy on it and whatever. And this is like a charter school you went to. <laughs> That's a very, very nice way of saying it. I went to a, a church owned basically one room schoolhouse one room schoolhouse is the closest way that i can describe it uh my church had a christian school and we had anywhere between five and 40 students at any given time yeah i mean this that's just i mean because like i went i went to public school you know there's like 1600 people at my school there's no way you're getting everybody to submit to this competition you have so many different kids like with so many different issues no for me because you know it was like so i get in there in freshman year and there's lots of different kids in my class and there's lots of ki- different kids with different types of backgrounds that, you know, un- are, are like understanding things at different levels because, you know, you, 14 for some people is different for 14 at, from like 14 for other people. It's, it's such like a, Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, people age, people mature at just different ages. And so I get in there 
And there's some kids, you know, that that my teacher is like, okay, well, this is the difference between there, there, and there. And then there's some kids he's he's teaching us about like okay well these are like the deep thematic things uh, uh for for this book like what did you feel about this metaphor what did you feel about like and he did a really good job of like really branching that divide and trying to get everybody to to work i had a really really great teacher uh my freshman year uh, he was really excellent yeah well i wanted to get to something that you just said which is that you had sure. discussion or critique of the work uh what if you said I thought that metaphor was forced and I thought this entire book is overrated. Like what would the consequences have been from your teacher? If I just, well, it depends on what book or what metaphor it was that I was talking about. If, for instance, if, if I just said something like that, he would have been like, okay, uh, well, why do you think that? What, what about it felt forced to you? What about this uh, felt like overrated to you? Um, maybe here's a better way of putting it is, so we had a unit where we read, Romeo and Juliet. Okay, we uh, we had a unit where we did a bunch of Shakespeare, but one of the books that we read was uh, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yes, not from school, but I am. Yeah, and so he had, there was like different topics that you could choose to write about. And some of the topics were a bit more basic and some of the topics were a bit more advanced. And he would basically say, you know, this topic, uh, you know, you, you can pick from this list of topics. These ones are maybe a bit more basic and these ones are maybe a bit more advanced. And there was a sort of thing like it, he didn't say like, oh, I expect some of you to write the more advanced ones and some of you to write the more basic ones. But there was a topic there for everybody, not like hmm, for everybody okay. specifically, but there was a to- like everybody that was in the class that was uh, that, that it got, it w- there was a topic that they could write something competently about. Yeah, everyone would have something that was at a level that they could write about. Exactly. And everybody had everybody had room to excel on their own level. Yes, that's that's, that's what we're exactly it. To say here. <laughs> sorry, sorry, podcast listeners. It is we're in another heat wave, so the brain waves may be a little bit slow today. Yeah, well, I'm recording this from my childhood bedroom um, because my parents' house has air conditioning, and I just went. And I was like, "Hey, it's uh, going to be 100 degrees today. Uh, can I come and stay at my parents' house for three days?" And they said, "Sure." I was hanging out with my mom last night. I gave her some guitar lessons. That was super fun. Um, that sounds awesome. It was, uh, Chuck it was and really I are in, are in our normal studio. We have a fan on in the background, and I'm normally pretty strict yeah, about turning it. it off for recording, but nope, not today. Not today. Not today of all days. So. So I wanted to talk about criticism of work before we get into kind of talking about what we did and didn't study in high school. Sure. Because that's something that I felt was a real hole in my education. If I'd have said something bad about Shakespeare, if I'd have said something bad, like he, like I would have gotten eyebrows raised. If I'd have said, I thought that this plot was maybe a, like that this thing happening here was maybe a bit too obvious or maybe a bit this or maybe a bit that, then... I mean, he wouldn't have agreed with me, but he would have been like, you would have gotten like a, 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 it wouldn't have been immediately met with like punishment or anything like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like I was never really taught to properly critique work because of the whole fundy thing that critique is seen as equal to criticism and criticism is a bad word because that's negativity or you're having a negative attitude. So something simple, as simple as saying, I didn't really like this book very much. That's having a negative attitude and a negative spirit and you're not being positive and that's a bad thing. You can see this illustrated when 
people like our podcast and people like other podcasters and people on Twitter criticize current IFB pastors and current IFB churches and current IFB trends. Uh, something that you'll hear a lot is the word negativity or the word uh, you're attacking me or you're having a negative spirit and that spirit is not of God. You can see that all over the internet, wherever anyone is criticizing an IFB church ever, even when it's incredibly valid criticism, like you enable abuse. So why are you attacking me? Right. It's always <laughs> why are you attacking me? I'm going to talk in a minute more about how Christianity was tied in with literature in my education in particular. But this is one this is one just real hole in my education because I just was not taught how to dissect and how to critique things. So our homework episodes are about the most of that that I've ever done. So here's an example. Um, I think sophomore year, we uh, one of the books that I think we read was Catcher in the Rye. Okay. Uh, have you mm. read this book? I have not. Um, so it's, it's been on my list. I just haven't gotten around to it. If you haven't read Catcher in the Rye, that book is f***ing terrible. Uh, it, it, it sucks it's just like i've heard that i i hated it and it influenced some dude to try and kill john lennon so that's another strike against it uh and he did kill john lennon we we go home we, we'd be like read chapters like eight to twelve or something like that you, you read the chapters you come back to class the next class period and be like oh, have you read the chapters what do we think of it and then like half the class discussion was like talking about how much we f***ing hated it because <laughs> of how whiny and the main character is and and like why is this book fa- and like our teacher was like yeah i mean i i thought this book was terrible like but it was also like you know you need to learn like read stuff that you don't like so that you can know what you don't like almost yeah. like that you, you know what i'm saying yeah so you guys like never like i i suppose they never would have had you read catcher in the riot to begin with because that's like no so do you want to talk about what we did read in my classes or what we didn't read first okay why don't we do why don't, why don't we do some like compare and contrast okay because i made a list of some of the books that i so but you were mentioning that you did read some shakespeare what shakespeare plays did you read i think this was the first unit freshman year of high school and my teacher mr peterson great teacher, had us read uh, Romeo and Juliet just to start us out with, right? Because, you know, it's approachable. People know it. It's a story. Like, the, the kids are going to be into it. The kids are going to like it. They had the movie, you know, with Leo DiCaprio. Uh, right, which I have seen, actually. The kids the kids like Leo. Yeah, I think I think the kids still like him. We'd, we'd read the story, you know, and, we, and we'd talk about it. And, you know, it was part of it was that we'd talk about, like, Okay, Shakespeare is is written in five acts, and this is how the five act storyline works. Yeah, so we we actually we had that we had the you like had this that. is yeah like this is how act act structures work. And what we would do is we would so we were assigned two different Shakespeare plays, and I I feel like they were in tenth grade because tenth grade is when we did British literature. Um, so that would oh. make sense. But we so we would read the plays aloud as a class. So every day we'd have like 10 minutes and we'd read through a scene or two and different people in the class would get assigned to different parts and we would read it together, which I thought is, I thought it was cool. And we got to do that too. So that's, that's interesting that we did the same sort of thing. I think that a lot of, so we did that one for Shakespeare. I was also in theater class at the time and we were also doing Shakespeare in theater class. So a lot of this kind of gets mixed up together. So what did you do in theater class? In like theater what class? 
I think I, I might have been in the, the done some like the Tempest. Mm. Maybe I can't, I can't remember everything that I did. I know I did a scene from Macbeth at one point. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, so we did for our, his, for our, sorry, for our literature classes, we did two Shakespeare plays. We did Julius Caesar and Macbeth. Two good ones. Yeah, sure. I want to get back to, I'm going to sidebar into Merchant of Venice really quick because I did play Portia in a student production, just like a, the first act of Merchant of Venice, like no staging or props or anything, just script and blocking. Uh, but I was really proud of myself because I really enjoyed doing that. It was for a, a grad student had to direct the first act of a Shakespeare play for her project. Oh, and she cool. asked me to do it. It, was, it wasn't in front of an audience. It was just in front of like several judges, but it was how well were you able to teach these people their blocking and, and get these people to do it correctly? How good of a director are you? And you've always had a bit of a passion for theater. So I bet you were yeah. really jazzed about getting to do that. I loved it. Um, it was super cool because I was I was just on the cusp of coming out of the IFB and I was just starting to get all the dirty jokes in Shakespeare, which was pretty fun. There's a lot um, of them, aren't there? Yeah, there's there's something about a stallion in like the first page of Merchant of Venice, in the first page of Portia's lines. You read Romeo and Juliet, there's a lot of talk of maidenheads and we're just like, what is maidenhead? Yeah, and, and swords and things. Yeah. So, um, no, so anyway, that was fun. And in... So in a back back to 10th grade, Abeka English literature, though, we one of the things that we had to memorize. So there would be like one thing to memorize. I don't know if it was every week or every couple weeks of the school year, but we, there was always something we were working on memorizing. And then the test would be write it out word for word with no help, uh, which was a bit scary for for people like because some people like me are really good at just rote memorization. And other people, that's not their skill. So they would have you be like two households, both alike in dignity and fair Verona, where we like, you know, like that. What we had to memorize for that segment was um, Portia's The Quality of Mercy is Not Strained speech, which I still know about half of and that's it. That's kind of long, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's long. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the earth beneath. It is twice twice blessed. It blesses those who give and those who receive. Tis mightiest and the mightiest. It becomes the something ruler better than his crown. Huh. Eh, that's where I get a little bit stuck. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Because, I mean, I'm used to like having to memorize stuff, be but that was because I was in theater class. And for theater class, you have to memorize stuff. Right. To, you know, for your lines and stuff. Um, but the, like for English class, not so much. Yeah. So, so we had to, we had to memorize poetry constantly. Um, other things that I remember memorizing i i know we had to memorize i wish i still had some of my books um from that literature segment i know we had to memorize requiem by robert louis stevenson i know we had to memorize that poem about all the freaking daffodils by walt whitman or whoever that, that's by walt um, whitman i wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or veils and hills when all at once i saw a crowd of freaking daffodils i didn't like that i didn't like that poem very much i felt like there wasn't much of a point to it okay but also i find it so first of all i have, I have a couple questions about this okay one okay. so what is the deal why does the ifb why do they go so hard on memorization and two it seems odd to me that the ifb would be like yeah you should memorize some walt whitman like what is their relationship with transcendentalism so okay so so here's here's my answer to that number one i have not cracked the code on why all the rote memorization. 
So I feel like I've cracked the code on quite a few IFB things, uh, like the whole thing that I went into about how certain church songs are meant to be embarrassing to encourage a, a form of trauma bonding among the church members. Sure. That's something I came up with myself. I feel like I cracked that code. That's my big old theory, and I'm pretty convinced of it. I don't have a theory of that quality level on why all the rote memorization. What I can tell you is that uh, Becca Horton, who wrote and founded the Abeka book series. Wait, her name is Becca, and it's her Abeka. name is Becca, and it's Abeka book. Yes. Uh... That's... She just passed away, or I would probably say more things about her, but I think we should maybe give it like a minute. Because <laughs> she like just a... died like a couple months ago, or like a couple months to a year ago, I think. I could be totally wrong about that. If it's more than a year, then go ham. I, You know what? I don't remember. I'm too hot to like think right now. <laughs> I like I can't do that right. I can't do that mental math right now. Anyway, in a uh, so she so Becca Horton. Her name's Abeka, and the curriculum is called Abeka. Her name's Becca. Uh, so, I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> so Becca Horton was really, really, really big on like the way they did things in the one room schoolhouse. So everything was about rote memorization, and I think it was just like her partially her educational philosophy. But you see that educational philosophy leak out into other IFB curriculums, uh, like the ACE curriculum and just other IFB general practices on how to raise children. So I feel like the Becca Horton thing is a part of like a big part of it, but I don't think she's the entire like answer and solution to that question. So it could have just been that just like one person decided, you know what, this is a good idea. And everybody just see, this is such a thing with the IFB, though. Right. Is that it's like one person has this idea about and they're like a, a well-respected person and they just get some harebrained idea. And then suddenly everybody just has to go along with it because there's that whole thing. Uh, I wanted to answer your question about the transcendentalist and the fireside poet. So, yeah, go for it. There, there's a there's a major difference between curriculums. And I'm speaking primarily about ACE and Abeka because those are the curriculums that I have personal experience with. ACE does basically no real literature at all, like at all, at all. So you had ACE until like what, eighth grade? I had ACE until sort of eighth grade, sort of ninth grade. I was ahead. So I was a year ahead in school because I was good at doing paces. I went into high school a year ahead, but then the school administration and my parents wanted me to drop back a year so that I would graduate on time instead of early. Huh. So due to many events, <laughs> I ended up taking like very little classes, several years of high school so that it would slow me down enough for me to graduate at 18 instead of 17. Interesting. Yeah. So if you look at it one way, I took ACE until ninth grade because I took a lot of the ninth grade paces, but it was actually 13 or just turned 14. I was eighth grade age, taking ninth grade paces. And then the next year I went into ninth grade as again, as ninth grade age, not because I failed a grade, but because I got held back from a grade to, so that I would be on time with the rest of my class. Um, huh. So I took ninth grade twice, but not for the reasons that people often take ninth grade twice. Uh, it, it's very confusing. <laughs> I was a year ahead and they held me back to, so I graduated on time. But so I took ninth grade in both ACE 
Up until ninth grade, you'd never like they they hadn't had you read like classic literature because no. I remember being like sixth, seventh grade. You had to like we had a project. It's like you have to read a piece of classic literature and then you, you and then like right. you know review it, like talk about it, get up in front of the class, write about this author that wrote. You know, yeah. In ACE, you do have to write book reports. But remember, in the ACE episode, we talked about Corey Ten Boom. Uh, we talked about Through Gates of Splendor, which is the, the story about oh, God. the missionaries who get, get killed people. by the native people of their of an area, but then like call them savages. <sighs> um, colonialization. It's a, film, it's a snuff film book. Basically. I love a good bowl of, of colonialism in the morning. Uh, so um, it was great with milk. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that was our literature in ACE, like books about Ace and Christy and Reginald and Pudge and all those people like doing things like going to camp. So they had like books written about them. Yes. And to to, a, to their credit, those were actually kind of funny. Um, so it's like a babysitter's club book. Yes, type exactly situation. that tone. Very oh, much that man. Tone. But that's what you're reading. Um, but about like Ace and Christy and like who stole Pudge's uh chocolate covered pretzels that he hid under his mattress at the church camp that they all went to and like who which one of them is going to get saved at the jesus camp like that was literature and they called it literature man i mean because i'm thinking like if if in middle school or even in like if i got if i was in like fifth grade or fourth grade and i decided to write my book report on something of that level captain underpants yeah or, or you know then my teacher would have been like, this is not appropriate for your grade level. You need to do something that's, that's you so, know, that like. Well, that was what we had in ACE. So we did have to write book reports. We did have to like write answers, answer discussion questions about the books, but it was all in paces. So it wasn't in front of people or with other people because no one was reading the same book at the same time you were because my school library only had one copy of any given book. So you had to alternate how you did your your literature paces so that you weren't on the same literature pace as anybody else because the school wouldn't buy more than one copy. So that was literature before ninth grade for me. When you were at home, so were your parents reading books to you? Yeah. You know, when you were younger, when you were a kid? I mean, when I was tiny, tiny, but I taught myself to read when I was four. So... I didn't really want them to read to me because I wanted to read. Okay, because I, I always remember, you know, when I was growing up, you know, uh, after after dinner, you know, before we go to bed, either mom or dad would read a book to us. Or, you know, we'd start and it would it, it, it would be something, you know, it would be like Lord of the Rings or it would be like Harry Potter or something like that. It, you know, something that we'd want to read, something that we would get excited about. Like, and that was every, every night, literally every night. My parents read to us. I remember um, when I was really little, my dad is a huge Dr. Seuss fan, and we had a lot of fun reading, like, Cat in the Hat. My dad read the Ramona books to me. I just want to say, Ramona Quimby went to my high school. Yeah. Or Beverly, Cleary, Beverly Cleary went to my high school, graduated from my high school, and then she set all of her books in my neighborhood growing up and then Ramona ended up going in the character in the book went to my high school I was just over at the statues in Grant Park not too long ago taking pictures that's like four block that's no that's like a block and a half from my parents house I know so those were favorites of mine when I was a little kid my parents did read to me but I also was just a precocious reader so you were reading anything right so I was reading cookbooks because I'd read all the books that I had. So I, I literally like read my my mom had a Southern Living cookbook. And I still remember how to make like these like uh, mint brownie bars because I read the recipe so many times. 
That's useful though. That's useful information. I've never actually made them. I just I've just read the recipe about twenty billion times. You gotta make them. That sounds like delicious. Yeah, I probably um, should actually do that at some point. You're an excellent baker as well. As a kid, I was I, I was just really precocious. You know, everybody has a thing that they're good at and mine was words and reading. And I was reading on about a fifth grade level when I was five. So I just I kind of just like took off. And I didn't want my parents to read to me as much because I wanted to read. So I know I was reading. I was reading the Ramona books. I was reading a lot of Nancy Drew. I was reading the Elsie Dinsmore books, which I don't know. Did we want to talk about those on this episode? I don't know. I don't know what that is. The I will give you a one sentence definition and we should revisit this in another episode. The Elsie Dinsmore books are a moralistic tale about a little girl who is growing up in the family that owns a plantation in the pre-Civil War South. It's not mm. about how slavery is bad. No, no. It's about so her she gets this religious conviction that she is not supposed to eat fancy food on Sundays and she should eat very simple food on Sundays and her dad gets mad about that for some reason and locks her in a closet and won't let her read her Bible. And she almost dies from lack of Jesus because he won't let her read her Bible. And then she almost dies. And then the dad gets religion and then she comes back to life. And then the rest of the books is just her and her dad running around America and the world while still holding slaves being the most patronizingly moralistic you can possibly imagine wow that's that kind of tracks but okay yeah so um i mean at the time i thought it was great um looking back as an adult i'm not real pleased with the the lc that's you've heard you may have seen me reference that in the podcast facebook group is like the one thing i would never let my kid read really I've I've never I've never heard of this. I don't even know what this is. I don't think like many people who weren't raised as like a very particular like IFB girl child would know anything about it. But any anyway, I was reading a lot as a kid, but I didn't have access to like classics. I read so I read some Greek. I read like Greek mythology. I read Paul Bunyan stories as a kid. But as far as like American poets or English poets or uh, Shakespeare or Jane Austen, or like anything like that. The only like American classic author I can think of that I had a lot of access to was Mark Twain. Interesting. I mean, not knocking Mark Twain, because Mark Twain, great author. Yeah. But still. But so like, like I just like, huh. I didn't have access to like classics because they were seen as potentially corrupting influences. So Shakespeare, so um, I had, I remember being made to wait until I was, 15 or 16 to read Shakespeare. I was made to wait till I think 16 to read Anne Frank. Just like so many things that I wanted to read, but I had to wait till like a certain age. And then of course, the Shakespeare was was bowdlerized. So can we talk about that? What what is so what is bowdlerized? So we're talking like I believe late 1800s, but I did not take the time to google it, so I'm sorry about that. Um Bowdler was a man who released a censored and sanitized collection of Shakespeare's works so that they would be suitable for young ladies to read. So it was at a point in history where it was more acceptable for young women to read as a pastime and and it wasn't considered that their brains were too small to understand Shakespeare in printed form, but it was still at the point where the beast with two backs referenced in Othello. So that was considered like too risque for young women to it would corrupt their brains. Um, so 
Bowdler released a completely new edition of Shakespeare where he went through and censored and sanitized everything and just changed whatever he thought wasn't appropriate. So when we read, so we read Julius Caesar and Macbeth, like I said, in English class, but I had read those before because I had finally gotten old enough and begged and begged to be allowed to read a copy of, I had, uh, I borrowed a copy that was like seven Shakespeare plays and all of the sonnets. And I just devoured the whole thing. But I had read Macbeth before. And I knew that when Lady Macbeth has her little like emotional blood breakdown scene, uh, I know I knew that the line was out damn spot. So I knew when that was coming up in the class reading when we were in English class. And I was like, okay, got to set myself up. Got to be Lady Macbeth in this scene. I'm going to get to say damn in front of the entire English class. I'm going to feel like such a badass. This is a swear. I'm going to say a real swear, one of the big ones. I was I'm like, say the D word. Yeah, exactly. So I was like pretty jazzed about this. So I like set myself up to be Lady Macbeth in this scene because like I've, I've read this and I know where it's going. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to get to say the word. I'm going to get to do the thing. Uh, say the heckin' word. So I, <laughs> so I get to, um, so we get to the page and we turn the page and I'm like reading ahead on my lines because that's what you do if you're like reading aloud in class. You like look ahead to make sure there's nothing that you can't pronounce or like that you have to think about before you read it. So I get and I get to it and and the the Abeka Macbeth printing has it changed to out foul spot. Man. And I was so mad. That's so what do you do? Do you just do you just roll with it or do you say uh, teacher, this has been changed. I've read the original one. This is different. Like, so this th- is like this is like a trauma memory, and oh, this is wow. This is going to be interesting. Like, this is going to kind of illustrate how trauma brain and PTSD brain can work for some of us. So I remember sitting there and seeing that the word had been changed in the book. I remember feeling angry because not because it was changed, but because it was changed with no note, like no footnote. No, this is why we changed it. Like it, it didn't make me super mad that they had taken out the, the big bad cuss word. Because it, you're used to censorship. Because I'm used to censorship, but it made me mad that they didn't note that they took something out. Because also remember, I'm coming from the King James Version literal society where if you change something in the bible that's like big bad and you know if you so if you you know if you print a bible verse and you put and and the bible says his and you put his or her in like parentheses you have to note that you changed it so that nobody thinks that you're that that's the bible or that you're changing the bible so i'm used to seeing notations when things are changed even slightly and it just, it really irked me that this had just been changed. Be- it's not that they didn't, like, it didn't make me that mad that they didn't want to say damn in class at school, at a Christian school. It made me mad that they didn't think that it was worth an explanation and that they thought that they could just make that decision for us without having any explanation at all or even acknowledging that they had made that decision for us. Was that like a moment where you're thinking about that? And that's like sort of maybe a light going off in your head, like what else aren't they telling me, or yeah. was it just like a oh okay, so really, so you're so looking this was at this like this was getting... a, almost like a pivotal moment, 
But here's where the trauma brain and like the PTSD brain come in. And this is what is, it may be interesting to people. So I remember, I know for sure I set myself up to be Lady Macbeth in the scene because I wanted to say it. I know for sure I read ahead and noticed the word had been changed. And I remember being angry and I remember my emotional process of anger when I noticed that the word had been changed. What I don't remember is what I did. Because I have one memory in my mind of reading it the way that the book said, like reading it foul as written, but saying it real sarcastically to be like, um, I know this isn't right, uh, but I'm too afraid to actually break the rules and do the thing. I have another just as clear memory of me reading it as as Shakespeare wrote it. So reading it out damn spot and just not acknowledging it and passing it over. And if you'd have done that, what would have happened? Like, cause I don't you don't know, know which I one's don't, real. I don't remember what happened. Like wow. I remember, I equally remember both outcomes. Like I remember not doing it and I remember doing it, but I don't remember what the, so, but probably not doing it is the correct memory because I don't remember any cons like what consequence happened for doing it. Is this like an alternate timeline situation where it's we like, have like? So I want to hold on to that yeah. thought. I have a third, like hazier memory of like interrupting the reading to be like this word has been changed and that's not okay. And I literally don't know which one of those th- mm. those three things happened. And that's like a a window into what, how PTSD can present for some people because like, I, I don't know. One of them could be, Oh, I wish I'd have done this. Right. But it could be, I wish I'd shut up and not done anything because I got in trouble. And now I don't remember what, like what the consequence actually was, or it could Mm. be, I chickened out and just read it the way that it was in the book. And I wish I had stood up for myself and read it the way that Shakespeare wrote it. It could go either way. I mean, I think the most likely thing is probably that I just shut up and read it the way that it was printed in the book. But I have memories of doing that all three ways. And I I don't know. I can hear from your voice, though, that you're just like very like that you still think about this. Yeah. I mean, well, it still still... makes me mad, like for the reasons that I explained why they changed it there. So this is a kind of this is a. this is a low stakes memory to explain this concept on because this isn't one of like the way more traumatic things that I have multiple memories on and I don't know which way it happened. I have this in a lot of things that have happened to me. So on the podcast, I try either I just avoid those stories or I say, well, I think this is what happened, but I don't remember for sure because between PTSD and a traumatic brain injury, there are just a lot of things I don't remember, which is not fun. But this also isn't like an uncommon thing. Like this is a, a known phenomenon for people to have PTSD. Yeah, like this is this is one of many things that can be how PTSD presents or manifests for a person. And I, I'm sure that there are other listeners who have a similar thing going on. Well, because I was going to ask you um, if you wanted to give us some other like maybe comical examples of other things of like battlerization, but you wouldn't even know because they, you know, they wouldn't have marked it. They wouldn't have told right. you. I wouldn't know unless I had previously read the Shakespeare play and paid enough attention to it to notice if they changed a word. Um, Interesting. I'm sure you can, I'm sure people can like go- be able to Google, though, and find 
uh, where things were changed for Baudelaire's version of Shakespeare. So why don't we take a break? Why don't we take up the offering and then we'll come back? Yeah. So I want to talk about like something when we come back, I want to talk about, uh, I have my literature book here with me. I want to look at like what the discussion questions were for some of the the things that we discussed. Um, And I want to talk about what some authors that I found that I really did like that were somehow included in the IFB literature books. Yeah. And then we'll talk about like sort of their process for banning and slash not banning books. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. We're talking about literature. We're talking about banned books. We're talking about education. Um, so this is an, the idea of banned books, though. Um, I want to circle back to this because I think we mentioned this at the beginning. It's not so much which books are banned. It's which books aren't banned. Right. Because yeah. so and this is something that we've brought up before is that a piece of media, a piece of uh, literature, TV, movie, whatever it, you have to if you're in the IFB, right, you have to assume that it's not allowed and then somebody has to review it and say it is allowed. And this is part of like information control. Right. It's assumed it's assumed demonic until proven otherwise. And whoever is so you go into a new piece of media assuming that there are hidden messages from the devil and immorality and witchcraft, which, sorry, witchcraft and drug use and alcohol and just every sin you can possibly imagine you assume in, in that piece of media. And then you have to pick it apart from every possible angle to try to find any of those things. And then if you can't find any of those things, then it's approved. And so somebody who is at a high enough level to like be immune to those things is going to be the one Mm -hmm. whose job it is to do that. But if something slips by them and you're the one that catches it, then you can just be like, yeah, I found this evil thing in this book. And then they have to decide whether or not they're going to take you seriously and they're going to tell you that like 
right. please, please go away. Please don't ruin this for us. Right, exactly. So they're either going to throw the book away or burn it uh, or just take a Sharpie to it, which is more common. Um, and just kind mm. of um, – or they're going to say, oh, we're, we're ignoring this because the pastor really likes this piece of media or you know, whoever. I mean that seems like that's that's more – because that that's wild to me though. Because so when I was in elementary school, at least, you know, you'd have your your ex, you'd have your like regular lessons, and then you know you'd have a class period where you know you go to PE or you go to music class, you go to or like one of them that you would go to would be you go to the library on like Wednesday or Thursday or something after lunch or whatever, and so you go to the library. And I remember at library, there was like a whole week, uh, I think it was in like September or October or something where, you know, we'd talk about which these are banned books or, or like, you know, quote unquote banned books that people don't want you to read. And we'd be encouraged to take a banned book from the library and take it home and read it. And so there would be like a whole list of books that, you know, we weren't supposed to read and, you know, it'd be stuff so like books that are banned where like books that are banned in other parts of the U.S. or what constitutes books... banned I think it's just, you know, books that people have an object that like some organization or whatever is going to ob- object to on okay. on ground saying this is uh, this is uh, subversive in some way. So we were encouraged to read what was quote unquote subversive literature. So, you know, I mean, it could be anything from like Catcher in the Rye to like Captain Underpants, just something that somebody thought was crass or something that somebody thought was actually like oh, this is teaching bad things to our kids. Yeah, I remember, I, I seem to remember there being a, a little bit of a of an objection being raised to Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, specifically Huckleberry Finn by Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain. When I was a kid, uh, because of the prolific use of the N-word in Huckleberry Finn. Right. That, But that was like, that was like what I was hearing about, like, oh, we shouldn't ban American history. Like, it doesn't matter if that might offend some people. We shouldn't. So that's like the, the, the I feel like the, the view I have of banned books and the view you have of banned books are very different. See, I think it's I think it's interesting because, you know, that's a book where, yeah, of course, the N word is going to be used all the time in that book. Right. Because it's it's in the because South. That's, it's, it's in Missouri. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what people said. Yeah. It doesn't make it good or cool or OK to say now. But. Yeah. But like, but like when that book was written, that was not like when the book was written, that was not culturally perceived as an inappropriate term. Or it was just commonplace. Or if it was inappropriate with some people, then, you know, it's like this is this is how people talk. You're going to read right. this. You You're going to write how people talk. So so like but like that's the view that I kind of had of banned books. That being said, what was banned for us was, uh, of course, anything evolution related uh, anything with any kind of magic in it. So Harry Potter, not allowed. Harry Potter, not cool. Uh, I did, I read, so did you know that The Wizard of Oz is only the first book in like a 50 book series? Yes, I am aware of this. Okay, good, good. I'm happy for you that you're aware of this because that's a, it's a magical series. It's wonderful. I got away with reading most of those before a pastor that I had before my dad was my pastor uh, said that The Wizard of Oz was magic, so it was evil. That's a huge bummer. I mean, I'm just glad I got to read most of them first. And you had, I mean, you had what, your Dorothy shoes, I bet. I had and my little had... Dorothy shoes. I had a um, a thermos that 
had the Wizard of Oz characters on it. And you had to get rid of all of that stuff. Yeah, I don't believe I burned the books. I think because they weren't mine, they were my grandmother's or my one of my one of my parents, I think. But I but did But just get, anything with magic in it. Anything with magic in it is bad. Harry Potter was the big no-no because uh and it might not be for the reasons you think actually. So it it wasn't actually because of the magic. Like that really? wasn't the only reason. There was another very very big reason. Let me th- is I'm going to let me can can I take a guess at this? Please. Okay, so they're not mad. Um, kids are going to wizard school, learning, learning. I mean, they were mad about that. There was something else they were equally mad about. I'm gonna let's see. So I'm going to guess that there's a character that they thought was gay. Is no. there a character? No. Okay, that's not, not okay. Hmm. That's, that's not a good it. guess though. Because that's usually every. That's why they hate Arthur. That's why they hate SpongeBob. That's right. why they hate. Hmm. <sighs> you want to take another guess? Okay, so it's not a character that they thought... Am I on the right track? Is there a character that they thought was something? Um, No, it's a... um, Okay, let me see if I can give you a hint without without giving it away. Okay. One, it is a a physical characteristic of a character. Okay, a physical... It's... it's, uh, Ron Weasley has red hair and he has no soul, therefore. No, that's not it. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is it something to do with physical character? Is it something to do with Hagrid, the half giant? No, they believe no. in giants because of you know the Bible. Oh, okay. So he's like Goliath. Okay, yeah. makes perfect sense. Um, is it to do with Harry's lightning bolt scar? Yes. Is the lightning bolt somehow satanic? It's the mark of the beast. <laughs> Oh my! So Harry has the mark of the beast on his forehead, right? And there's also themes of like resurrection because there's the whole like I'm not going to explain it nearly as well as the books do, but like did he die as a baby and then like the magic brought him back to life, or did he like escape death with only the lightning bolt scar? Well, that's one of the mysteries of the book, right? But people think that that's supposed to be replacing Jesus because Jesus died and came back to life. Well, see, that's interesting to me. Because one thing that I did that I have uh, sort of clued into about uh, a lot of Christians is that they absolutely love Chronicles of Narnia, right? Yes. Well, Chronicles of Narnia, especially though, is like a very uh, I want to say like annoyingly obvious metaphor for Jesus, right? They have. Right. The, the lion is clearly like he's he's like clearly oh this guy is Jesus literally Jesus right because one of the metaphors for Jesus in the Bible is the lion uh, the rose being another one I hate how obvious that is yeah but you know like one of the that's interesting to me because you know in Harry Potter um, I don't know if you guys know this but like Harry Potter is very much. If you get towards like in the end of the series, you know, the way that uh, he has to sacrifice himself for the good of everybody else and he has to die and, you know, and then come back for everybody else to be saved. Mm-hmm. That like that was very Sounds much a bit familiar. Yeah. It, it does sound a bit familiar. And it's very much like Harry Potter is a, a Jesus like savior like character. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so like I don't see how that's any different. Yeah, so that's well, that's considered that's con- no because the the Harry Potter one has has magic and witchcraft in it, and that clearly makes it demonic. It's there's witches in in C.S. Lewis. 
There's, it's in the title I mean, of the book, true. The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. That's true. You know, you really are pointing out a very, a very interesting, uh, what, like, what's the difference between those two? They're also super into Lord of the Rings, and there's wizards all over that, and yeah, creatures and dragons. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder how they feel about Game of Thrones. <laughs> Probably not real positively. No. So anything with witchcraft is like automatically banned unless otherwise, unless it's C.S. Lewis, because unless that's it's a Christian analogy somehow. Yeah. What was what was it that they called uh, Aslan the lion? Who who was it? that? What did they call him? Jesus's fursona. Yes, they called Aslan the lion fursona Jesus, which I think is hilarious. Um, yeah. No hate to any furry listeners that we have. You do you. Uh, not, not at all. Like do do your own do your own thing. Do what makes you happy. It's a weird world. It's a weird weird world. Like live your best it, life. Animals are cool. Um, and feeling like you connect with animals on a spiritual level is totally fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I don't I don't know. Like it's a strange. In my opinion, it's a strange world we live in. Like be real careful to respect other people's consent and other people's boundaries. But like literally, just do whatever makes you happy. As long as as long as you're respecting other people, like it's a strange world. Don't hurt others. <laughs> don't violate others other people's boundaries or consent. But like, I don't really judge people for doing things that are like weird that don't hurt other people because I don't feel like furries are more likely to violate other people's consent than just like regular people. You know what I'm saying? As as far as I know, they're like extremely consent focused. Like most of their communities are really consent focused. That's like from what I've read on like vice articles and shit. well good for them <laughs> yeah i mean I, i'm always happy like i'm always happy to hear about communities that are really consent focused like our cult is going to be um <laughs> the, the Edenites. so that's kind of that did you want to know anything else about band yeah so like what what else is like not is like they put in the kibosh on immediately okay. any portrayal of sex before marriage that does not end in horrific tragic consequences is banned so like okay. the scarlet letter is okay because when there's not i don't think there's a sex scene in that book per se but also like the premarital sex in that book has the con has consequences for hester but that's like the point is that this is like really messed up that but they're like looking at that they don't understand that they're looking at this book they're just like man she got what's coming to her <laughs> like yes exactly no that's exactly it that's exactly what we were taught when we read scarlet letter it's like the like we said when we watched titanic they were watching titanic and they're rooting for this billy zane guy they're just like man rose should have ended up with him <laughs> so it's like um when you read Scarlet Letter, you might have gotten discussion questions about like the Puritan society and how that unfairly how that unfairly treats women because like yes. there was a man who got her pregnant and he didn't get a Scarlet A. It's her fault. So when I was reading Scarlet Letter, it was like, should we put a Scarlet A on all unwed mothers in our society? Did Hester deserve to go to jail for having sex before marriage, or should she have just been executed instead? Wow. <laughs> so I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit clearly but that's so but like funny. that's the tone of the questions that we had i wish to goodness i still had my, my scarlet letter books i could read you the discussion questions okay so so what about violence are we talking like so what if because i remember violence so fresh is fine violence totally is fine cool. i mean i was reading I, I read fox's book of martyrs as a kid so so freshman year of high school uh my english teacher he keeps coming up, but only because he was really good uh his, his name was mr peterson yeah he had us read 
All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a fairly advanced book for, you know, to, to have 14 year olds read, 14, 15 year olds read. Um, but I remember we, you know, we read that book and there is, you know, that's a book about World War One. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of violence in there. There's a lot of, you know, themes about, you know, war, dehumanizing the enemy um, and just just mass slaughter of, of people, you know, with machine guns and, and, you know, trying to hold the battle line just people getting killed and you look at this book and you're just like oh man this book was like i mean this war was terrible it's horrible Mm -hmm. and yeah Hmm. so what i was reading that was like similarly violent and i don't think there may have been an excerpt from fox's book of martyrs either in my history or in my english books in high school i i am not for sure so i'm not claiming that for sure uh i know i was reading it like on my own time and so you were reading about people getting blown apart by machine guns, but I was reading about people having their fingernails pulled out and being tied to four horses who were then told to go off into different directions and having their guts cut out and uh, oh, all sorts of things. So what, what is Fox's Book of Martyrs? I've never heard of this. Fox? What? What the f***? You've never heard of this? Fox's Book of... I'm Googling it right now. Fox with an E. F-O-X-E. Fox. So Fox's Book of Martyrs is a... It is a book compiled by Fox, I guess. I don't really know who that was. Um, but it is the story of every Christian martyr whose story he can track down. Why would I have read this book? Why would I know this book? Oh, I didn't expect you to have read it. I just kind of expected that everybody knew what it was. I didn't know what that. I've never heard. I was re- so it, I'm Jewish. We don't. You know, like, I, I feel like you've told me that before. but No, th- this is the thing is if we want to read about a bunch of people who got murdered, we're just going to talk to our grandparents and be like, hey, what happened to your cousins? You know, <laughs> and be like, oh, they got murdered by Hitler. Oh, they got they got picked up by Stalin and we never saw them again. If they were lucky, they ended up in a Jewish autonomous oblast. <laughs> Uh, you have a dark dark sense of humor so to get back to other death and destruction in fox's book of martyrs uh it is it so anybody that they could name that was a christian martyr so uh most of the original disciples were martyred uh and it will detail the traditional punishments that we think they received um for example, I believe that that St. Peter was traditionally, yeah, St. Peter was traditionally crucified upside down because they said, we're going to crucify you now. And oh, he right said, with the Petrine cross you were telling you yeah. about. With and the he upside said, please, cross. please crucify me upside down because I don't want to die in the same manner as Jesus did because uh, I'm not worthy. So they would tell that story and they would tell how like Thomas got martyred in India or and and how all the other apostles and disciples died. And then it would move on to like the catacomb martyrs and, and the... Um, Hold on. Big Roman building. Lots of arches. Colosseum. Colosseum. Thank you. Fox's Book of Martyrs goes on to uh, Christians who died in the Colosseum. And and it just traces like all of these Christians throughout history. Anybody that we have pretty... I mean, anybody that Fox thinks we have good historical provenance was a Christian and died as a martyr. And it will be wax poetic on, like I said, their fingernails being pulled out and their disembowelments and their decapitations. So and, it's basically just like torture porn. Yes, very much. So that's a that they're fine with that. It's it, torture porn is great as long as it's Christian. Yeah, well, I was hearing the same thing in church. Like I was, I was hearing, 
Right, with the Jesus, with the murder stories and crucifixion stories in church, with the thorn through his eye. Right, like all this stuff that like really freaked me out as a kid. I like violence is not really an issue, but but any kind of like any kind of premarital sex and for the school library, premarital kissing was also off the table. That takes out. That takes a lot of. How about premarital hand holding? Probably okay. A little spicy. A little bit spicy, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I really feel like that's why Romeo and Juliet wasn't included in my high school curriculum. I feel like it was, like, too sexy for them. But didn't they get married? Yeah. So banned, I don't know, like, other than Harry Potter and, like, some other, like, selected, like, this is extra bad books, anything with anything that would be a sin in it was pretty much banned. Uh, A very, very small amount of alcohol or smoking would be acceptable if it was only done by a villain. Most books written after about 1940 were just a flat no-go. Really? Yeah. So my English, I have my literature book here. Um, My English literature textbook. Sorry. Let me take a look here. It ends with a piece written sometime before 1909. No, it ends with a piece by Malcolm Muggeridge, who died in 1990. So... That would, but it's, I don't, I don't see it. There it is. The date on the piece is 1975. And then the last piece chronologically before that is the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. There are, there are a few poems from the 1940s and like World War II era. uh, And then like one thing from 1975, but there's no modern literature at all ever. Uh, I remember in my, I believe my American literature book ended with E.E. Cummings, weirdly that's a weird thing for them to be into because ee e. cummings is so they're so into him they have his poems like well abeka specifically not the ifb but abeka specifically is super into ee e. cummings they have so they have his poems like in all of their books which is so odd to me because he's like a modernist is that so do you have to do you have to like memorize ee e. cummings poems yeah, I believe how? I did. The, I mean, I, I okay. So I can't remember if I was required to or if I did it on my own. But I do have a couple of his memorized. Anyone lived in a pretty how town with up so floating many bells down? I don't know. I can just memorize <laughs> words. If you just give me words, I can memorize them. So I want to. I want to say for those who aren't familiar, um, what, what's the what's the type of poetry that that you call it? Because like it, it, you see how it's written on the page, like the shape of the letters written on the page is like part of the part of the poem there's a word part of the poem there is a word for it i can't remember what that word is is it like concrete some i don't know i don't know what it is um but it's it's like one of those things where if you like just have the words like sometimes like one line will just be like one letter yes and like a period so like you can't it's a it's a sort of poetry where if you like say it out loud it a lot of times it won't make sense you have to see it written down on the page like but i like that because i like saying it out loud because it doesn't make any sense and it's just sounds and words that i mean i i really i love several of his poems so much just because like because it because they just sound fun and they don't make sense (laughs) and then they do make sense when you like when you read it and then it does make sense but it also doesn't i love it i'm sure i'm not sounding like a great literary critic here that's so funny. That is so funny because that's just to me that's such like a, a where they're just like so intent on an agenda and then they like they find something that they that like just does not fit that agenda at all and they try to make it fit. Yeah, and- so speaking of that, I want to talk a little bit about like a little bit about what the discussion questions would be in my literature book because I have my literature book here. Okay, go for it. So 
are what are we going to be talking about? What? Um, so we're talking about Percy Bache Shelley. Um, I don't know Percy Bache Shelley. Uh, Ozymandias, author. Uh, it's that. It's the poem about the the statue in the desert. I don't know this. My one. name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my work, you mighty in despair. Okay, that does sound familiar. Yeah, um, British like a uh, romantic poet, kind of very much in the style of Byron. So here's a discussion question, or here's a, a composition suggestion. So write like a one paragraph ab- ab- about this topic. Show how Shelley's last poems indicate his despair and disillusionment and explain how he should have... Ab- <laughs> Sorry, I got to do it again. <laughs> composition suggestion here. Show how Shelley's last poems indicate his despair and disillusionment and explain how he should have overcome these if he had been a Christian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the the level that's... that we're that we're working at here. This and this is in your literature class. Yes, that is in my that is like straight from my literature textbook. I'm like I'm flipping what? through because I know there were a couple other ones that I didn't mark the page, but I totally wanted to read you. That's There's like also an, an actual, entire chapter that's just hymns. How is this? I, like every single time that you like get uh, like th- that you talk about your education, I always have to ask, how is this legal? This is and this is like one of the quote unquote best Christian curriculums. No, but but I'm I'm fully serious about this because you know what. It, the the censoring Shakespeare, you know what? I, I would have expected that. The going in on like Scarlet Letter being like, yeah, she should have, she should have, she deserved to be punished. I, I would expect that. But like this sort of, I mean, it's, it's just such an agenda. Like education isn't there to like push an agenda, is it? I mean, it shouldn't be, should it, right? Well, yeah, is it and should it be are kind of different questions. No, but this is, this is the thing that you keep hearing about because all of these right-wing people are just like screaming to into like the night about like all oh, critical race theory is like the they're they're trying to say that white people are 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 the devil. They're trying to teach children that white people are the devil in school and that's like their radical agenda. Like you guys are teaching people in school that like this poetry would have been better if the poet was a christian um this is so here's some more let me just keep going with this so there's a there's an entire unit where most of it is like sermons and theological devotional writings because that belongs in literature this is the life of samuel johnson by james boswell who apparently was an 18th century british writer there's like 10 pages samuel johnson i don't know i don't remember uh, oh, Samuel Johnson was the greatest writer of the 18th century. Gavi, duh. Let me Google this guy. He was a staunch supporter of the Bible against the claims of deism. Johnson struggled to succeed as a writer until he published a dictionary of the English language in 1755. Johnson, Johnson's dictionary became the standard English dictionary in both England and America until Noah Webster's American Dictionary was published in 1828. Okay, well, this guy does seem pretty... Uh, uh important thing. okay well we get 10 pages of his bi- biography and then here are like some of the, the the discussion questions at the end that you would have to like write down for your homework for this class what evidences show johnson to be a strong christian what was johnson's idea about heaven and hell was it biblical and then the the very next thing after that is a piece called meeting god in the morning by matthew henry 
and the homework questions for that one are list the reasons given why morning is the best time for devotion with God. And how does beginning the day with God help us to serve God? So that's your homework. How? What? Go home and, and write me uh, an answer on why morning is the best time for your devotions and how beginning the day with God helps you to serve God. What? That's this your homework is, for, this, for literature class. This is pure absurdity. So like this How? is this is like what I've been like there is real literature but it's all from a very Jesusy point of view. That's almost worse than not teaching you all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's almost worse to have no information than to have bad information. Well, so that's the thing. You're like you're like made to like look at all of it through this like through this very specific point of view. That's so odd. No, but I can totally imagine that. Like, I'm trying to imagine. So say you had this as your high school education, and then you ended up, for God knows what reason, going to a, a secular university, say. And then you get into a class, and you're reading, and, and you have literature and then discussion questions. You're taking a literature class in college, and you have discussion questions on that. And you're reading it. And all of the literature and discussion questions are about like they're asking your actual opinion about stuff and not just is this guy a Christian? Is this guy not a Christian? Right. Like, can you tell from this guy's writing if he is a Christian? What did he get right and what did he get wrong based on the Bible? And imagine like say you you read that and then you're just like, OK, well, that's the perspective that I'm going to write from. And then you turn that in and your oh, here's college. One. Here's one. Uh this is on Robinson Crusoe. By his experience with Friday, what does Crusoe learn about the nature of God and the nature of man? Okay, that's a, a reasonable question, though, for that book. Yeah, but like every question is like every question. Explain. Every. Okay, so maybe so maybe you'll you'll be different about feel differently about this this composition suggestion. Explain why Robinson Crusoe can be considered a spiritual diary. Everything is just like with the agenda, man. I'm just, this this should not be legal. I don't understand how this is legal in this country. Like how, we have standards I mean, of the, no. This is like actively doing a like children are vulnerable, right? Children are vulnerable, and they like depend on people who are older than them to take care of them and to teach them like what is right and what is wrong and what like and how to basically live when they go out on their own. And this is actively depriving of them of that opportunity this is so infuriating to me like teaching your children like not to have critical thinking skills unless it's in such a very myopic viewpoint oh that's kind of, that that's a, i think a, an overview of what i learned in literature class at, at least in abeka i was exposed to real authors i i mean i found edgar Allan poe through abeka really somehow weirdly was approved how do they let you read Edgar Allan Poe? Like, I murder? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm still, like, super into Poe, one of my favorite authors. So, so I don't know. I'm thankful for that. Um, I did read, I, I, I don't know, we, we read poems by Phyllis Wheatley, who was a, a formerly enslaved person. Uh, who was, she was the first black woman to publish a book of poems in America and the second woman overall. Wow. Yeah. It's, and, and her poems are really great. Like, uh, I thought well, that's something that's not nothing. They were, I thought they were really good and I'm thankful to know about who she is. But when we were taught about her, it was all about like, how did Jesus help her deal with the pain of having formerly been enslaved? And it's like, 
like the only I feel like so it's her and it's Anne Bradstreet who had the first book of poetry published, who was the first woman to have a book of poetry published in the United States uh, or what would later become the United States. And Anne Bradstreet like went through personal tragedy and depended on her religion to get through it. But the problem is that both Anne Bradstreet and Phyllis Wheatley, it's like they were only worth mentioning because they were Christian, not because they were absolute history makers. That's that's what gets me. And it's it's like Horatio Spafford. Exactly. Over again. Yeah. Fucking Horatio Spafford. Yeah. So it's it's like it's not like those two women were mentioned because they were extraordinary and did something great. It, they're mentioned because they were Christians and God helped them do something great. So that's not like not my I don't know. That's that's the the, the entire literature was like we, we were exposed to real classics and believe me, I'm thankful. It's a heck of a lot better than what would have happened if we if I'd stayed with ACE. But <sighs> I don't know, man. This is this is this is just so wild to think about. So to sew this one up, I thought we might talk just real quickly about how I started reading again and, and how I chose books to read once I was no longer in the IFB. Yes, let's do that. That sounds like an, a very interesting topic of conversation. So I had I had access to the library and I just made myself a list. So so Jane Austen was mentioned in my English literature book and we may have read a chapter by her. Love Jane Austen. See, I'm surprised that they didn't have you guys read Jane Austen. In yeah, right? Cuz if you look at the subject, they like proper shit, right? So everything that's right. proper, everything that's like, you know, and, and you know, it's Regency England, so nobody's going to be you know, doing anything untoward, but the characters yeah, I think are there yeah. Was- I think there was a chapter or two of hers, but not a whole book in the in the English textbook. So, but I you know, I noticed that okay, that's a classic author according to my English textbook. So I took a pencil and paper to the library and I wrote down the title of every Jane Austen book that they had, and then I checked them out one one by one and read all of them. And then I, I specifically remember checking out all the Mark Twain books because um, I really enjoyed Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. And I really enjoyed, uh, I, I am blanking on the title of the book. I think it's the innocence abroad, but it's the, the mock travel guide that he made about being an American traveling Europe. Did you read the one where it's uh, Adam and Eve in the garden? Eve's diary. It sounds familiar, but I just can't place whether I've read it, but I, so I, I, um, I checked out like huge tomes of Shakespeare and Poe and read, all of their stuff and read the Edgar Allan Poe's semi-failed novel, which is the only thing he ever, he ever wrote that I don't like. Hmm. And so I would just, I just built on, I built on what I had and I would make myself lists of like dozens of books and just read, just check them out from the library one at a time and read through them. I feel like the point I want to make about the deconstruction aspect of this is um, goal setting and, and just building on what you have. Because if I heard, oh, this is a classic literature thing. This is an author that's important. I would just add it to a list and I would just let those authors lead me to new authors and was able to kind of plug along pretty well, just starting from a very, very limited place and just expanding outward very slowly over time. But here's the thing about that, though, is that if you just try to start getting into literature and you're just like, okay, let me find a list of like 100 greatest books of all time. Right. And just try to try to do that. 
and you like get to something like and you're not used to to reading a lot of books you know or or you know the books that you're used to reading are maybe I don't want to say more basic because I don't want to sell her audio, but like, you know, they're from a very certain perspective and you get to something like Herman Melville, which is just so dense, you know, you're going to think, okay, maybe I, I don't like this. Yeah. I think that the thing to do with that is just give yourself permission to move on and find something that you do like. And if it's, it was important to me to read classic literature and classic novels, but if I just didn't like something, I didn't just sit and force myself to read it. I would come back to it a year later and see if, if it made more sense at that time. And, and there's nothing wrong with reading things that you enjoy and things that are lighter reading. If it, if it's important to you to consume, you know, all this classic literature, do it at a, a speed that feels good to you and do it when you feel like it. You got your whole life. I still haven't read War and Peace and like, Oh, I haven't read that. I like. I would like to because it's classic and like, and it comes up on Jeopardy a lot. I I would like to read it, but I still just like have not felt like cracking other open another thousand page book. So I haven't. I will eventually, but there's no reason for me to have to do that now. So when you start really getting into this classic literature, and you've only ever been taught to read from like a a very myopic like a christian perspective like is this a book representative of christian values is it not how do you start to look for the different themes in the like how do you how do you know what to read for so when you're reading a story how do you know what it is you're looking for that that you know like the deeper themes the deeper meanings the deeper like character development and stuff like that that you're looking for that they're just not going to teach you if it's not something that's specifically flattering to God? How do you know what to look for? I don't really know. I don't know if I fully have that figured out. Uh, I know when I, when I read books that do have a lot of foreshadowing or a lot of, uh, like I was, I was just reading The Handmaid's Tale and that's, it's a very detailed book in like the, the rules of the fictional world in which the characters live. Sometimes I just write notes because I find that that can sort of help me put pieces together. But I just use, I use the notes app on my phone for literally everything. And I will just write like two word notes. Um, Interesting. About things that it seemed like the author might've been emphasizing or trying to foreshadow something. Uh, that, or I just read every book twice, which may not work for everyone, but I end up reading a lot of books twice. Cause I just like, I don't know what to look for. Cause I was never really trained to do that. So I, I miss a lot of things the first time. Yeah. See, for me, I never I never get foreshadowing the first time I read something like I, I never do. And then something happens and then maybe I go back and look at it again. Yeah, I, I occasionally get lucky with like a wording change because well, because like I said, words are kind of my my thing. I I pick up on are changes they now? In time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude, dude, words are totally my thing. Um, no, I pick up on changes in tone of the author or a vocabulary word that seems a little bit off based on the vocabulary that the author would normally use. And those can like clue me into, oh, they're trying to do something here. But if I, could... I don't I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be helpful with with telling people how to like critique books or because I I still feel like I'm in the process of learning. So this is just one thing that I want to say to our to our listeners who, you know, maybe they're coming out, maybe they don't know what to read. I personally am a huge fan of audiobooks. Okay. Um I love audiobooks so much. 
I listen to them like literally all the time. I have an audiobook going on. You know, a lot of people are, are constantly listening to music. I'm constantly listening to an audiobook or something if I'm not listening to a podcast. If you like your local library probably has an online section where you can like get audiobooks, check them out from the library. That that's something that I would recommend. Yeah, and that's free. So yeah. If if audiobooks are are better for you, that still that still absolutely counts as reading. And there's also there's also always like and I don't know. I don't know if I feel guilty for suggesting this or not, but there's also just cliff notes. You can just read like the summaries of these books. Personally, I usually read the book first and then I'll go read the summary to see if I missed anything. But there's no rule that you have to do it that way. If you really want to just be educated about classic literature without having to read a bunch of books, just just read summaries of them. You don't have to do anything that makes you unhappy. And that's that's the thing about deconstruction. If you've always wanted to wear the short shorts and the crop top, then work your way up to it. Go do it. Go get it, girl, or go get it, guy, or no, go get it, non-binary friend. Like, like do it. But you, but if you've never, you know, if you have no interest in wearing short shorts and a crop top, you don't have to do that just to say that you're fully deconstructed. And it's like that with these books. If it's something that you've always wanted to read, it's something you've always been dying to do, by all means, get yourself a teapot and some nice tea to drink and get a cozy corner and read all of these books and feel super educated and feel super good about yourself and enjoy the heck out of it. But if this isn't something, excuse me, if this isn't something that's going to add to your life, listen to the audiobooks, read the summaries online. If you feel like you need to be educated about these things and you don't feel like reading it, you do you. Like it, it, It's your... The whole point of deconstruction is not feeling obligated to do things a certain way anymore. I think people should do what makes them happy. That's it. That, that's it. Um, you said that so perfectly. Um, and I think it's about time for us to wrap this one up. Ah, man. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can follow the Leaving Eden podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Uh, come join our Facebook group. Come join our subreddit. Uh, go do all those things. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, or you can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie. Yeah, and you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.